listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 as we continue on in this series. And, and that was just so great to be able to see Hannah's baptism yesterday. And if you have not yet been baptized upon confessing, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That's the first step of obedience. Do it today. And just let us know that you are interested in that through the connection card and, and or speak to myself, to Brett, to one of the leaders here at the church, and we'd like to help you in that. Romans chapter 8, and uh, you'll also uh, have Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at that actually first before we get into our main text today. But uh, Romans 8 and Romans 3, important text for us. You know, in the reality of where we're at today, I think most of us, all of us would agree the struggle is real. The struggle that we face in life, the struggle that we face spiritually, the struggle we face in relationships, it's a real struggle. It is a real battle that we face. And I wonder today, how many of us would admit in your heart of hearts, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because, you know, we, we don't want to identify in this way necessarily uh, in our lives. But how many of us would admit in your heart of heart that you feel like a second-rate Christian, a second-rate follower of Christ? There's been seasons in your life of closeness with God, of victory, and, and it's been there. But, and, and, and there's this strong desire now or in the past there has been to really live all out for God. But yet you have found very little or no power, no lasting power. And today you're discouraged. If you were to be truly honest, perhaps you would even be sitting here today and you wonder, am I even saved at all? And you wonder because of the struggle that you're facing inside, even outwardly at times that it shows up. Maybe it's an anger, a rage that at times maybe nobody sees, but perhaps you um, just have it on the inside, just broiling up inside. Or maybe it's that addiction that you can't seem to get victory over. You keep falling and slipping back into it, even though you've tried so hard and you've gone through the programs and you've done all these different things. Or maybe it's that bitterness or that unforgiveness you just can't let go of. Or maybe you're hounded with that guilt or the shame from things said or done to you or by you. And you just cannot find the freedom and there's this weight on you today. Maybe it's that negative or critical spirit that just so automatically just finds fault with everyone and everything. I mean, in the early days, you called it the gift of discernment. But today, you're just miserable, lacking joy. Maybe you manage to kind of say and look and, 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 and do the right things you put on that Sunday smile, you go through the motions and there's this form of godliness about you and your activities and, and the words that you say and your theology and all of that and yet there's no power. And as a result of this, perhaps you isolate, you retreat and, and, and maybe in some ways COVID has been a blessing to you because you've just been able to kind of shut off people. Or maybe you turn to that, as they call it, a guilty pleasure or an addiction. Maybe it's drugs or alcohol or food, something just to numb the pain. Or maybe it's just endless scrolling or streaming or binge watching. And you're just trying to find that escape, just trying to fill in that void. You try reading the word of God. You try to pray. You try to worship. And it's like nothing. It's just like empty. It's just the prayers just seem to be going to the ceiling. And I wonder how many of us would admit and again, no raise, you don't have to raise your hand, but you say, I'm there. I'm there today, or, or I have been there, or I feel I'm moving in that direction. And then this doesn't help, as 
in the past few weeks, we've been in this series on Sunday morning called Come Alive. Ever since Easter, come alive to be able to love people without limits, to be able to, to, to not live with or to live without isolation, to persevere and not give up to be unwavering in our worship. And it's like, okay, I've got to do these things. And maybe if I do these things, it'll just start taking. And, and, and you have this, yes, you have this desire for God. You desire a closer, greater intimacy with God. And the spirit is so willing at times, but your flesh is so weak and you feel, feel spiritually dry, worn, weak, tired, exhausted. Or perhaps you think, I guess this is just the way I am. Get over it, family. Get over it, people. This is just who I am. Maybe this is just as good as it gets. At least there's heaven, I hope. Well, over the next few weeks, we are going to dig into one of the most amazing passages of Scripture as we continue on with this series, Come Alive. We've dealt with the externals, but now it's time to deal with the internal. And, and, and the internal work that God desires to do in us. And Romans chapter 8, I encourage you, start reading Romans chapter 8. Read it daily in your life. Martin Luther called it the most triumphant chapter in the word of God. Romans 8 shows us how God is for weak people. That means he's for you. He is for me. God is for weak people. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. No separation from God. No condemnation from God. You cannot get. This is the Mount Everest chapters in the Bible when it comes to the gospel just pounding us with these truths. But in order to understand Romans chapter 8, we need to do perhaps a little summary here of, of this. And, and, and in Romans chapter 1 to 3, and, and here's a quick summary of Romans, and, and so just let's breeze over this. This helps to give important context. Romans 1 to 3 is a horrible picture of the condemnation that sin causes in our life. It is about God's wrath being revealed against the godless and the wicked. And we're seeing that today in so many ways. We are seeing the godlessness and, and the wickedness of our world. In Romans chapter 2, Paul explains how Gentiles, the non-Jewish pagans, are also they're so deserving of God's wrath. And one can almost hear, as Paul's writing this, the religious leaders, the Jewish people, just applauding and saying, amen, amen, yes, those Gentiles, those pagans, they are going to come under the wrath of God. But then Paul turns the table on them and says, you Jews, you religious people, you people who think you're so religious, relying on your good works, keeping of the law, devoted to your lifestyle of, 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 of do good, he writes this in, in, in Romans chapter 3, and, and I hope your Bibles are open so you can see this. In, in verse 9, he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And verse 10 goes on, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And in the next few verses, he explains how the law, keeping religious laws and order and duty, all of these things... The Old Testament and, and the commands and keeping them actually even makes us more guilty because now we understand God's standard. And in verse 20, it, it goes down in chapter 3. It says, for by works of the law, in other words, religious activity, trying to live a good life, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 
The whole purpose of the law, the whole purpose of the Old Testament is to reveal that no one could keep it. And that's why it keeps pointing to the only one who could, the Messiah that would come. And that we are all born sinful under Adam. We are all born under the curse of sin. And it's not a pretty picture. In fact, it's absolutely devastating. And I wonder if Paul, as he was writing this, if he would have stopped at a certain point and just put down his pen and said, wow, this is heavy stuff. This is hard. This is difficult. But I'm so thankful that Paul continued to keep writing as we see one of the sweetest transitions in the Bible take place here. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. Folks, those are life-changing verses there. This is life-changing, eternity-altering good news that the law doesn't save, but that only those who have been justified in Jesus Christ, who have understood and received his propitiation, the penalty that he paid for our sins on the cross, whoever has received that has eternal life, has faith, has life in Jesus Romans chapter 4, verse 5, continuing, he explains how we are justified, declared righteous, that God looks upon us as if we haven't sinned. He looks upon us innocent before a holy God. And that is only received in faith by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 teaches us that, that because of Jesus, we are in union or in communion with Jesus, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now slaves. We become slaves to righteousness. There's this inner desire to want to live for God and to live pleasing a life, a life that is pleasing to God. Romans chapter 7 continues on, and he explains, yes, we are in Christ, but we still sin. And it can be at times so defeating in our lives, isn't it? And, and then the last part of Romans chapter 7, just look at it right now because these are some great verses and, and I think we can relate because we see schizophrenic Paul here at the end of chapter 7. Schizophrenic Paul enters the scene and he informs us, yes, the battle is real, the struggle is, is there in our lives and he writes in verse 15, he says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you relate to that? For that I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I, do, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then in verse 24, he just cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Who can deliver me from this body of death? And so here we have the Apostle Paul, mature believer, apostle of Jesus Christ, Bible writer, church planter, missionary, calling himself, declaring himself to be wretched before God as he sees himself and he's declaring just the struggle is so real. And sadly, this is where so many of us live our lives. Defeated, discouraged, depleted from trying oftentimes so hard 
And we feel the guilt and the shame and at times the unworthiness. And again, perhaps even doubting our salvation. Maybe you think, well, maybe that prayer I prayed at summer camp, maybe that prayer, prayer I prayed at the altar or during that Billy Graham crusade, or whatever, maybe that prayer just didn't take. Maybe God didn't hear me because I sure don't feel the power. And then you're bombarded with thoughts and accusations. How can you make a difference in God's kingdom with thoughts and struggles and a past like yours? And you hear those voices. You shouldn't even be in church. You shouldn't even be here today. You're not worthy. You shouldn't be in church. You shouldn't be in church leadership. Why do you even try? You're not worthy after what you did, after your past, if people only knew the real you. Those words, why don't you just give up? Why don't you just pack it in? But so thankful that Romans 7 doesn't end at verse 24. Look at verse 25, and it should be underlined in your Bible. That's why it's best to use paper and pen rather than tablet and whatever that little thing is called that you might use. What's it called for tablets? Yeah, that thing. That's stylex, I guess, or whatever. Toss that, get to print Bible, because you need to underline this and hold on to this, because as Paul says in verse 25 of Romans 7, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then it goes on in chapter 8, and this is where we're going to be parking today, because the Holy Spirit of God, through the Apostle Paul, declares these words. Look at this as well. Underline it. Memorize it this week. This is the gold verse. This is so incredible. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I encourage you, if you're watching from home, write this down. It'll be on the bottom of the screen. The rest of you, it's on your service folder. And and take this home with you and remember this. No condemnation means no condemnation right now. No condemnation means no condemnation right now. And we need to work through this verse word by word because it is so golden and it is so life-changing. Look, at it says, there is therefore. That therefore is pointing us back to the first part of the book thus far. Pointing us back, reminding us of what Christ has done. All that he has accomplished on our behalf. That in Christ we have been called, we've been regenerated, we've been adopted, we have been brought into a saving union with him. And as a result of that, there is therefore, based on all that Christ has done. And, and, and then look at the next word, now. Make sure that word now is underlined because now means right now, not five years from now, not when you finally get your act together. Now means immediately, it means right now. And then look, it goes on, no condemnation. That word no is in, is in the emphatic. It is declaring no, no, no condemnation. It means no, nothing, nada, none at all. No condemnation. Condemnation, that's courtroom language. It means to be found innocent of all and every accusation. There will be no sentence, no wrath, no penalty, no punishment inflicted on you from God because there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. You will be found, you are found not guilty. Every sin, every thought, every action, all because of Jesus. For all who are, as it goes on to say, in Christ Jesus. That isn't a universal statement. It is for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus today, there's no condemnation. There's no penalty that you have to pay. 
no penance, no purgatory, nothing of the sort that you will have to pay or endure because Christ took it all. For those who have understood their sinful position, and, 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 and we receive this this way in understanding and knowing, and, and it's so simple that a child can understand this. Understanding that our sinful position before a holy God means that we stand under condemnation. And so in understanding that we throw ourselves at the mercy of God's at the mercy of God, we, we bow, we fall at the, in brokenness, in repentance, at the foot of the cross. And having said something like this from the depths of our soul, God, I need you. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I'm so sorry for the sins that I've committed. Thank you that Jesus died in my place on the cross for taking the condemnation that I deserve. And it's saying to God, take over my life. I surrender my life to you, my past, my present, and my future. It's all yours. Sin has been the master of my life, but I want you to be the master. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And as a result of this, of a result of this heart decision that we make, Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is there an amen to that? <sighs> Not bad, I know it's early, first service, so you know. Um, is there an amen to that? Amen. amen, there we go. You see, we can't face and we won't face. Thank you, Micah, for, for giving me that late amen. They just got that online, so you were in, in line with the people online, perfect. We cannot face, we will not face double jeopardy for our sins. Jesus already bore the penalty for your sin, for my sin, past, present, and future. He took it. And so we won't face condemnation because Christ bore that for us. He became sin for us. And we in, 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 his, our sin was transferred to him. His righteousness transferred to us. This is such good news. God will never bring your past up ever again. Others might, but God won't. Satan might, oh, no, Satan will bring thoughts and accusations into your head. Now, let me clarify, there is a difference between conviction and discipline and guilt and condemnation. And we have to understand, no condemnation does not bypass or escape the conviction over our sin that we commit still on a daily basis. As we sin on a daily basis, the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin, and sometimes it's even the discipline of God in our lives, as we read about in Hebrews chapter 12, and the, the discipline that comes into the life of the believer to build us and to grow us. But conviction is God's grace to us today as believers in and through the Holy Spirit. It's that still small voice that we talk about as believers in Christ as we hear from God's word or just it's within ourselves new because that heart of stone has been replaced with the heart of flesh. And at times it's that conviction that says, hey, 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 careful. As we're being tempted and we're hearing that voice saying, uh-uh, 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 this isn't right. This isn't, this isn't right in God's eyes. This isn't right in God's word. Or sometimes that conviction comes to us through the reading of God's word or the declaration or the preaching of God's word as it points out our sin and it leads us to then confess. 1 John 1, 9, as we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from that unrighteousness. 
And it leads us to confess to God as well as to others if we have hurt or wronged or sinned against them. But conviction leads us to repentance and a restored relationship with God and with others. Guilt and condemnation, that's from the devil. And if you are a person that tends or likes to remind people, family members, people who are not getting along with, perhaps at times, of their past, stop it in the name of Jesus Christ. If that person is a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have to do the work of the devil in that way. God has declared that person free and under no condemnation. Guilt and condemnation are meant to destroy and the enemy loves to accuse. The enemy loves to rub our nose in our past sin. You know how oftentimes we have nicknames for people? Oftentimes in homes there will be nicknames for kids or for parents. Our daughter, Clarice, 23 years old, keeps changing every year. Um, yeah, uh, for her nickname or some of the words I've used to describe her at times are little princess, my little princess. She's always been my little princess. But there's also another name, and some of you would know it. It's Clarence. I don't know why. It's just kind of like a name that when she was young, I don't know how it all came. But, uh, and, and so I have this nickname for her, and sometimes other people call it. Her name is Clarence. However, her boyfriend turned fiancé, uh, his name is Toby, calls her Claire. Drives me nuts. It's like, her name is Clarice. You don't have the right to go around and give short names or nicknames. And you know what's worse yet? His family calls her Claire. It's like, what gives? You know, and uh, so, in full maturity, I call him Toe <laughs> instead of Toby. And I'm thankful when they were here a while ago, some of you did too. And I appreciate that. I'm going to slowly wear this boy down, you know. Listen to this, folks. Satan calls us by our sinful name. He calls us nicknames, but they're by our sinful name. Names like useless, good for nothing, loser, failure, liar, fake, hypocrite, adulterer, sinner, cheater. God calls us sons and daughters. He calls us loved, chosen, beloved. He calls us loved one. He calls us saint. He calls us forgiven. So regardless of whether you are struggling with the guilt of what you did on your phone at 1 a.m. this morning, what you did in business this past week, or what you have been struggling with this past year, or for the last four years, 10 years, 25 or 40 years, may I remind you that if you are in Christ, under the authority of Jesus Christ and the word of God, you are forgiven. You will not face condemnation or God's wrath because of your sin, past, present, or future. God's promises in this are, are filled, or God's word is filled with promises in this. Listen to John chapter 8, verse 36. It says, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Colossians 1.21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled 
in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. That is how God sees us, as above reproach. We are declared spotless, holy, blameless, whole, clean, pure, pardoned. The penalty for sin has been paid. And yes, we will continue to fight and battle the presence of sin in our lives. And this is where Romans 8, the rest of Romans 8 is so important for us because there's power that is available for us to fight and to win the battle. Praise be to God for that. Paul does not want us, God does not want us here throwing up our hands in defeat and saying, I just give up. I'm just going to have to live, I guess, the Romans 7 Christian life. The things I do, I don't want to do. And the things I don't do, I do. And oh, wretched man that I am. Just God doesn't want us living there. He wants us to live in Romans 8. And that starts with understanding that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But please understand this, that Romans chapter 8 verse 1, and this is where it gets slippery at times for some people, because Romans chapter 8 verse 1, it's not a license to sin. It's not like, yahoo, I can do whatever I want. I can keep on sinning. After all, no condemnation. That's an improper, imbiblical, unbiblical view of God's grace. Romans chapter 6 is very clear on that, that we do not continue to sin so that grace may abound. No, we, we fight sin, we battle it, but that's where we power out because we can't fight it and we keep battling it. That's where Romans 8 is so important. And when we truly understand and get God's love and grace for our lives, we will want to be done with sin. We will want to be able to fight it, not just in our heads, but there will also be within our heart, but also from within the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the power to be able to stand and be able to experience victory. And so loved ones today, Romans chapter eight, verse one, no condemnation. This is where we start. This is where we stand. And this is where we get to stay. Let's live here in this angry world of blaming and shaming. God declares there is grace and mercy and forgiveness, hope. And he declares you, Son and daughter, saint, child of mine. What love this is from our God. And here's the second thing we see in this passage, and this will just be touched on shortly. Or just briefly here today. No condemnation means a new arrangement and a power for living. Look at in verse 2, Romans chapter 8. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And as Romans 8 continues, it teaches us how then we are to live the Christian life. It's not about living in the power of the flesh, in our own power, in our own strength, our own discipline, but in living in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, at the moment of salvation, when we receive Christ as our Lord and our Savior, there's this new arrangement. The Holy Spirit of God indwells us. As I said already, the heart of stone is replaced with the heart of flesh. That is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus comes into our life, and He starts changing us from the inside out. There's a new desire and a passion and a want to be able to praise him and to live for him and power to, to live a life that is pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit 
The law of the spirit of life, as it says in verse two, provides us with the how behind the what of God's word. It's not, here is how now you are to live and gives us a whole bunch of rules, roll up your sleeves, get to work, get at it. This is a sentence to living, if we live that way, to living the Roman seven Christian life, which is frustrating and end in disillusionment, resulting in us crying out just like Paul, oh, wretched man, oh, wretched woman that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? But life in the power of the Holy Spirit is the impartation of the life and power of Christ. The Holy Spirit does in our lives what we cannot do in our own strength to lead and empower us to be able to live and experience God's joy and victory, peace and power from on high, to actually have joy in our lives flowing from inside, not just through external things happening in our lives, but internally. And I believe and I pray and I trust that over the next few weeks, Romans 8 would cause each one of us in a greater way to come alive, either for the first time in trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or breaking through the dryness and the doldrums and the disillusionment and coming alive in the power of the Holy Spirit. But today it starts with understanding and resting in what Christ has done. That in and because of Christ, there is no condemnation. You need to understand and know those words today because this sets us free. We're going to take some time in a few moments to remember and to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to thank Jesus for his sacrifice that makes all of this possible. But before we do that, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head just where you are. So we take a few moments and ask you a few questions, and then I'd like to pray before we partake. Today, I wonder, do you need to be set free from your past? Set free from the spiritual depression, or the dryness, the defeat Perhaps many of us came in today feeling like failures, feeling defeated. And I wonder today, are you feeling condemned? Unable to shake the sins of the past, maybe even the sins of the present. Would you today, right now, declare in your own heart before God, these wonderful verses that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And maybe through the course of this week, you need to write on the mirror. You need to write in your car. You need to write wherever you see it, no condemnation. And allow that truth to settle because that's how God sees us. If you've repented of your sins, that is how God, has, God sees you today. If you've never repented of your sins, Encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ today as we talked about earlier. And rather today than throwing your hands up in defeat and say it's just going to be another sucky week, let's throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus in worship, in thanksgiving, in surrender. And so God, I pray right now for those who are struggling. Maybe have even given up on you, but they're here today or they're listening or they're watching. Would you renew each one of us today? Tomorrow doesn't have to be yet another waking up day to another day of loss, but a day of victory because Jesus, you are victorious. And God, I pray that you would teach us in the coming weeks how we can live life in the power of the Holy Spirit, in power and in victory.
But for now, for today, would we take time to rest and trust in your amazing love.